Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. All right, everybody, welcome to the 76th episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser, your host, one of them, uh, uh, at HawkBlogger on Twitter, uh, HawkBlogger.com on the web, slash HawkBlogger on Facebook, and uh, slash HawkBlogger on, on YouTube, as a lot of you uh, already know, because you're here. So welcome, one and all. We've got an awesome show tonight. Uh, not only do we get to talk about the five and one Seattle Seahawks, uh, off to the best start, tied for the best start in franchise history, but we have uh, a great game coming up this weekend. I mean, a fantastic matchup between the Ravens and the Seahawks, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, there's Earl Thomas, there's so much to cover. And that's not it. We also are bringing in a special guest, uh, Evan, 
at Evan Hill SEA on Twitter. Tell the folks who's joining here in a couple minutes. Yeah, so I'm not sure if anybody saw my tweets, but we have Jim Nagy, former area scout for the Southeast, I believe, for the Seattle Seahawks. He was with them for four to five years. He has um, almost 20 years. Maybe this is his 20th year of scouting level experience. He started off his football career interning for the Packers, working under John Schneider there, developed a friendship with John Schneider, worked for the Patriots, the Redskins, Seattle Seahawks and is now um, the senior executive director for the senior bowl. So he's a really, really big deal. Um, one of the most respected minds in the evaluator space. So very respected scout um, has nailed some really, really important draft picks for the Seahawks and was a big, big part of, I think their success in the past five, six, seven years. So super excited for him to be joining. It looks like he's going to be, joining in the next few minutes. So it's going to be good. Awesome. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, I think a guy that all of us have a lot of respect for and, and certainly someone that uh, <laughs> we will have to control ourselves or we'll keep him here uh, till uh, the wee hours of the night for him. So um, we'll, we'll cover that here in a few minutes. Then, I mean, I will say probably equally as exciting news, uh, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter, dude, you're a few days away from being out here in the Northwest. You're coming with to the, the Ravens game, man. How do you feel about that? Oh, man. It's, I'm pumped. I uh, counted down the days, man. Coming out, I'll be there on Saturday. We, we're all getting together on Saturday. Um, Earl Thomas is probably my favorite Seahawk throughout this run, maybe, other than Russell probably, but Earl's up there. To end up coming for his probably maybe his last game ever at CenturyLink Field It's pretty cool pretty cool that most of it that we end up in the game together and josh is going to be there with us and just really pumped up this team's really fun right now it's been a weird weird start to the year but they're five and one that russell's the talk of the league right now it's just awesome yeah. and and you get to taste matador nachos for the first time the real reason you're flying to seattle that's mostly it. i mostly wanted to actually try your nacho thing and yeah. you you have to send me those instructions by the way um I had to, I had to just finally weigh in on this because for years, I just felt like such an outsider where you guys debate this. And <laughs> Nachos are a heated controversial topic. So I will be sure to send you my instructions. Yes. And like Nathan seems to be coming towards your side on this. And so if I can, if it could change him, I'm pretty intrigued by it. <laughs> so yes, there will be a, there will be a nacho uh, experiment run. It will be clean. It'll be an AB test and we will publish the results. So people should follow along on Twitter if they haven't already. And uh, you know, um, as we were waiting for Jim to join here in the next minute or so, I just uh, um, call out, I mean, this, this game this weekend, I think, I don't know if there's been a game looking forward to it in the same way that I can think of like this one in terms of the, the entertainment level, like the sheer, like forget how good they are at different things. Lamar Jackson has got, I mean, he's one of the top two, three, four most entertaining players in football right now. I mean, the guy is, is I think, I think he's on par or close to like LaShawn McCoy when it comes to uh, lateral quickness in the open field scares me to death when it comes to the way the Seahawks defense has been tackling the fact that it may be raining 
and we saw how they did against Alvin Kamara in the rain. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> pure fan wise, it's a little nerve wracking, but man, I still remember guys. I'm curious for you. I still remember two guys when I saw them in person for the first time, they were the craziest athletes I'd ever seen. They just jumped off the, the not off the screen because I was there, but Larry Fitzgerald was one. Um, seeing him in person, he's just a different kind of athlete. And Adrian Peterson was the other. I mean, those two guys are unlike any other athletes. And I'm kind of curious if Lamar Jackson will be like that. Uh, where are you guys on, uh, on uh, Lamar Jackson? I'm nervous. I'm really nervous. It feels like we're in like a different reality and we're playing basically Russell Wilson's younger self. So I think, uh, I think this game is going to be frustrating and it's probably going to be a little similar to how opponents feel playing Russell Wilson. Obviously I think Russell Wilson's the better player overall and a better passer, better decision maker, obviously a veteran. Um, but Lamar Jackson is exciting. And if you're a Ravens fan, um, you know, he's, he, I feel like he's made a big leap in, in year two and, and he was knocked down in the draft a lot, you know, pretty far for concerns about being, you know, a running only quarterback. So it's definitely an exciting game on Sunday. Hey, I want to, I think we're welcome to the show. Uh, Jim Nagy, is, is that, uh, is that, is that you? Yeah, guys, I'm on. What's up tonight? Hey man, it's it's great to have you. This is Brian Nemhauser, uh, host here on on Real Hawk Talk, along with Evan Hill and Jeff Simmons, and uh, it's wonderful to have you. Thank you for uh, staying up a little late and and uh, joining the show. Yeah, fellas, thanks for having me on. So, um, for folks that that are not familiar with you, Jim, I mean, you've been a an NFL scout for you know eighteen years. You've worked with, uh, you know. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, you've worked with Bill Belichick, you work with Pete Carroll, you've been part of three or four, I think, different Super Bowl winning franchises. Um, and, you know, uh, have been such a uh, credit to your field that you were given the opportunity to, to take over um, uh, Senior Bowl, the Reese's Senior Bowl, and as the executive director of, of that. Uh, and I mean, I'm curious for, for you what the ride has been like. Um, if you wouldn't mind just giving us the, and the, the people listening a little bit of an idea of how you got started and how you got to where you are now. <laughs> oh, guys, that's such a long answer. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it, feels, it feels like a lifetime. But uh, no, I, I tell people, you know, I, I wanted to do this from the time I was a little kid. Like, honestly, my parents, uh, my dad was a, a high school football coach from when I was a little kid. So I just grew up around the game and, uh, you know, watching the draft on TV in the, you know, the late seventies, early eighties, um, gosh, I guess probably wasn't the late seventies. I wouldn't even on, but probably like early eighties, whenever Mel started doing his thing, 83, 84, um, just loved the draft and was really enamored with it. And, uh, you know, so I had a one track mind from the time I was a little kid. So, you know, when I got out of college, um, it was, I, I tell young people that look to get into scouting now, like it's, it's, uh, it's easier now than it was back then because there's a lot more avenues. There's there, there were like in 1996, there weren't even scouting internships back then. I had to get my foot in the door through a, uh, through the PR department. That's what how a lot of coaches and, and, uh, front office guys did. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's more difficult now because there's a lot more people that are aware of the, aware of the profession. And, uh, so yeah, I graduated from Michigan and sent resumes and cover letters everywhere. And uh, my only offer was an uh, internship with the Packers. And I was working in PR in 1996, 
uh, the year they won the Super Bowl with Favre and Reggie White and that crew. And, uh, you know, I was really lucky. They had a, they had five future GMs on that scouting staff. It was, it was John Schneider and Scott McLuhan, John Dorsey, Reggie McKenzie, Ted Thompson. Um, so it was a great, it was a great, wow. great group. That's quite and, great. uh, you know, yeah, like every free, every free second I had, um, from my PR duties, I was, I was bothering John and Reg, those guys shared an office together and they were, they were kind of like, you know, pro personnel assistants, like low level guys at the time. And, um, yeah, I just, I just pestered them and they'd let me sit in there and watch tape with them. And I just tried to learn it. And, uh, yeah, I just got really lucky. John and I became really, really close friends. And when he, uh, he got a job in Washington with Marty Schottenheimer running the personnel department. He hired me full time to uh, be the West Coast uh, area scout for the Redskins that year. So that's that's kind of, in a nutshell, how it started. Amazing, and I mean, that's a, quite a talent crew that you, you you just mentioned there. I'm curious, you know, for for the average fan who who watches football, what's maybe one thing that as you kind of came up as a scout you learned how to watch the game differently as a scout versus how you watched it growing up just as a fan well you know it's kind of cliche I guess but you know when before you become a scout you just kind of follow the ball and uh you know when you when you get into scouting you just kind of your eyes take you different places so and you just go to look you look for different things at different positions you just see the game differently and uh you know, on one hand, it's great because, you know, you're, you're doing what you love to do, but it really takes away the fan part of it. So it's hard for me to it's hard for me to really watch football nowadays as like a, a, a fan. A couple of weeks ago, we I took my family up to a game at Michigan uh, where I went to school and, and even sitting at that game. I mean, I'm watching a bunch of guys for the senior bowl, but uh, I, I had a good time. Don't get me wrong. It was great having my having my wife and kids up there with me and, and all that. But you just you just see the game differently, I guess. You know, you just look at it a little differently. Yeah. So obviously, uh, being a, a Seahawks show, we're we're probably going to focus a little bit more there than some of the other pieces. But um, you know, you've had uh, insight into how things work in the draft room and and uh, the Seahawks front office with John and and Pete and even Scott was there for for I think at least one year that you were there. Um, yeah, Scott. I think Scott was there for uh, for two of the two of the five years I was there. Okay. Yeah. One of my questions was like, you know, he was a, he was a big addition and, and left. How did, how did you feel like, uh, what was, how, how was his, what was his influence on the front office joining? And then, you know, what do you think the impact was of him moving on? Um, you know, he was, he was a piece of it, you know, I mean, no, no more, no less than, than everyone in that room. And that's why, that's why everyone in the league wants to work for the Seahawks and work for John is because he, he gives everyone a voice and that's uh you can't say that about every place in the league. I definitely can't say it about every place that I've been. And uh, you know, so, so Scott had his voice and, and everyone else in the room did too. And that's why, you know, John does such a good job of, of really making everyone in the room feel valued. Um, you know, and I'm sure that it, you know, when it was all said and done, like he, he weighed different people's opinions differently in certain areas, but, um, so Scott definitely had influence, but you know, at the end of the day, that, that was John's show, you know, it, it, it kind of rubs me wrong a little bit when I see, you know, people say that like, and, and I trust you, Scott's a good friend of mine. I think he's great at what he does, but you know, it rubs me a little wrong when, when I, when I hear a lot of stuff that like Scott was the, you know, the genius behind 
you hmm. know, what was going on in Seattle. And since he left like that, that really bothers me because I'm so, I'm so, you know, John, yeah. John, John Schneider's incredible at what he does guys. I mean, he, he doesn't, he's not a self promoter, you know, he's not an ego guy. Um, he deserves so much more credit than he probably gets and he doesn't hmm. care. Um, but I'm telling you like people on the outside know he's good, like, but they don't know how good he is. That's it's it's so great to have those words come from your mouth. Um, we we can say we can say that all we want on, on on this show, but having it come from someone on the inside is is super powerful. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, can you talk a little bit about the dynamic of you know you've got a situation you've probably been in different front offices where you know you've got a GM and in this case you've got a coach and Pete Carroll. It's super tight, but the power dynamics are interesting in that you know. Uh, who has final say on personnel and how that's handled. And Pete and John have talked about that a lot. I've had a chance to talk to both of them about it in the past, but when you get to something like drafting a guy like Russell Wilson, who is, you know, clearly someone that John, uh, you know, fixed, you know, fixed it on and, and found as he was scouting, how does that work in your mind in terms of how it goes from either a scout or the GM and then the coach who has some final say over some aspects of personnel, um, how do you see that working and how do, how do the, 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 how do people like John and Pete work together to make a decision like that? Well, I think that uh, you can't overstate it enough what the relationship John and Pete have and how critical that is to the success of that franchise and the run that they're on right now. I mean, again, I know that, I know that Seattle fans are appreciative of, of what they're, of what they've had the last, you know, whatever it is, nine, 10 years now, but um, it's pretty remarkable, like that the 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 run they're on, and that they've been able to re- rebuild this thing on the fly, um, and it and it's because of that relationship. You know, it's it's the relationship between head coach and GM. Again, it's you know it's pretty pretty common knowledge that you know that that that's the most important relationship in the building. Um, but but what John and Pete have is pretty special. You know, it really is. It uh, you know especially for that longevity. Like so there there sometimes there's a honey honeymoon period where. GM and head coach, you know, get along well, but as teams have success, you know, either side, one or the other, you know, wants a little credit, but, um, you know, more credit than the other, but to see, put, have those guys put the ego aside. And, uh, again, we, John, you, John used to push us to read this book called, uh, ego is the enemy. And, and, and he lives by that, you know, like there, if you guys have spent any time around there, I know you have like, there's, there's no ego when it comes to comes to John Schneider and Pete Carroll. And, uh, you know, they're just trying to build that thing together. So, you know, if, you, if you're speaking, um, you know, directly about the Russell Wilson situation, that was the year before I got there. I was in Kansas City. Uh, we actually we actually had the pick before Seattle, and they were sweating it out, thinking that we were going to pick Russell. And in hindsight, gosh, I wish we would have. Um, <laughs> but we picked Donald Stevenson, a tackle from uh, from Oklahoma who ended up being a pretty good player, but he's not Russell Wilson. But um, so I wasn't there through that whole thing, but I have seen the report that John wrote. And that's another thing I will say, like, you know, for John is that he's a GM and he actually still gets on his computer and types reports out, which is, Hmm. I I don't know any other GMs in the league that do that. So I'll I'll share a quick story on that one. We were playing in Atlanta. uh, I mean, I don't know. It was like 2013 or 14 or whatever. And, and we were living down here in Mobile, Alabama. So we drove up for the game, my family, my, my wife and kids. And we were at the game Sunday morning. We, we were with, uh, we we're out down in the field. We saw Tracy Schneider and, and I was like, Trace, where's John at? And she's like, Oh, he's, you know, fell behind her reports this week. He's back at the hotel. 
And I, I looked at her, I said, can you please tell him he's the boss? And like, he doesn't have to write reports anymore. Um, but you know, that's just, that's just John though. You know, like he's, he's a scout at heart. So I've actually read his Russell report. He loved him. You know, he, he thought he was, he thought he was the guy that he's become. And, uh, you know, to Pete's credit, you know, I think there, there was definitely feeling in the building that Russell wasn't going to be that guy. Um, that was not the prevailing feeling in the building. And, uh, you know, and Pete conceded to, to John and let him get his guy and, and, uh, the rest is history. So, it, but it does, it just goes to the relationship and, and uh, how they give and take on certain players. And, and that happens every year in the draft. I mean, Pete will be, you know, have a real, real strong feeling on a player like Chris Carson was, was, or, you know, one of Pete's guys, Pete loved Chris Carson. And so they're, they're, you know, it just, it's kind of a back and forth, but they, they work so great together. Jim, Evan Hill here. So glad you were able to hop on tonight. So I'm so glad you just mentioned the Chris Carson pick because I actually wanted to jump back to that 2017 draft. That was the, I believe, your second to last draft with the Seahawks. You left in May of 2018. So the 2017 draft, just for the listeners, was the Shaquille Griffin, Chris Carson, David Moore draft. John Schneider said something super, super interesting that stuck with me following the 2018 draft the year after. He said they were starting to make less excuses for certain players, that their board had considerably shrunk. Can you speak to that at all? Uh, yeah, I, I want to be careful with a lot of this stuff, guys. You know, I mean, they, that's, that's in-house business. For sure. I don't want to step on. But, but yeah, yeah, for sure it did. You know, we, uh, you know, I think the Malik McDowell thing was, was a little bit of a wake-up, you know, and we, that was a thing where we, we knew a lot. Of, we knew a lot. You know, and uh, sometimes you can get blinded by talent and Malik certainly had talent, but it wasn't it wasn't just him. You know, I think we really just we just tightened up, you know, when it comes to the character part of things and what we were looking for, uh, both 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 personal character and football character. So, yeah, there was there was definitely an emphasis on that. And and, and the board, the board definitely shrank those last couple of years I was there. Yeah, I appreciate you speaking to that. So shifting gears a little bit. How do you balance need like positional need on the team versus best player available in the draft? What's your take on that? Uh, this is, this is not a Seahawk take at all. This is my, my personal take. Uh, you take the best player. Um, hmm. I, I've just been, a, I've been a part of way too many drafts where we've reached for need um, and not even, I'm not even speaking specifically to Seattle just in my 18 years. I mean, we just, they, when it when when whenever I've been a part of something where we really needed a player and we reached for it, it hasn't turned out well. Um, so uh, you know you just you take the best player and and, and you move on. You know it's uh, you know there's there's nothing wrong with having a multitude of great players at a position because especially as easy as it is nowadays to move players and trade players, um, you can make things happen and, and pick up more capital. So um, that's just my own personal philosophy. If I ever had a chance to to actually run a show. Um, you just take the best player. You stick your board. That's interesting. So, Jim, a little bit of context to me. I'm a cap guy. I'm a salary cap guy by nature. I used to work for Over the Cap a few years back. Um, one player that super fascinates me is Matt Thomas. I know you're a scout, and those are completely different departments, but what's your take on Matt Thomas and his you know, role within the Seahawks' success over the past several years? Yeah, Matt Thomas is a way bigger part of things than than I think the outside public realizes. He he does a phenomenal job. Uh, he's a great guy. First of all, everyone in the building loves Matty. He's he's awesome, 
And, uh, he, he, you know, he's another low ego guy, you know, like, again, there, there's, there's been organizations ripped apart by GM cap guy conflicts. I mean, it all, it all affects each other. And Matt's another guy. He just fits in because he, he doesn't have that ego. He's there to do his job and he knows, he knows his part and, and, uh, John knows his part and Pete knows his part and they, they just respect each other. There's just a mutual respect and, and what Matt's been able to do in, in, again, like I talked about keeping this thing together. I mean, they've rebuilt a little bit, but you know, to keep that, that core group together, keep Russ and keep Bobby and, 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 you know, KJ and, and the, the group they have now and, and now Locke, I mean, they, he, Matt's done a, Matt's done an unbelievable job. Probably he definitely doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, I know John leans on him heavily and he, he provides John with a, with a huge, just peace of mind knowing that, that, that he's so good at what he does. So um, no, Matt's phenomenal. Uh, hey Jim, uh, Jeff here. Um, I just for a second, if you want to talk about your new role with the Senior Bowl, I guess not so new anymore, and kind of your favorite part of it, what you've really learned so far. It seems like it's—I I covered it years ago. It seems like it's really expanded. So, what what have you learned so far? What's been your favorite part, and what are you trying to accomplish? I guess. Yeah, it's been—you uh, know—it—it was—it it, it was really a blessing, guys. Um, you know, like people ask me why I did it, and and we've been in Mobile, Alabama for 12 years, so I wasn't looking to get out of the NFL. You know, if there was any place I I wouldn't have left, it was the Seahawks. I mean, it doesn't get any better than than working for them. I'm not just saying that. I'm I'm, I'm truly not just saying that. Like that's a phenomenal organization to work for uh, across the board. I mean, everything the the, the culture, the people, um, the way they the way they treat you and take care of you. It's it's a great place. So it would have taken something really unique and, 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 uh, to get, to get me out of that position. And this thing came up, you know, this job came open and, and, uh, it was pretty easy to call John because we're, we're such close friends. And I just said, John, I, I got to go for this thing. And, you know, he loves my wife and he loves my kids. And, and he's like, Jim, you got to do it. And he's like, who do I need to call? So, um, so it was, you know, thank God I was their guy, you know, we, it was a long interview process and, and I ended up getting the job, but it's been, it's been great, you know? So in the NFL, it's, it, it, I don't think the league prepares guys to be, you know, prepares them for that GM chair very well. And, uh, you know, I've had friends that have become GMs and I've told this story numerous times. And I had a buddy that got a GM job years ago and I was driving around Florida, listening to ESPN radio and he'd been on the job a couple of weeks and he was so nervous just getting on a radio interview. He like, he was stammering his way through it. I had to turn it off. Like I was so, I was so, I was like, it was, it was so bad. I was like, Oh my God, you know, but you know, so the NFL, like they can, they can promote you and you can give you a bigger title or, you know, pay you a lot more money. But at the end of the day, you're an evaluator, you know, you, you watch tape, you write reports, you give your input to the GM. But like when it comes to the, the media side of things and the, you know, the public speaking and, and managing a budget, managing people, like those are just things you don't get a chance to do. So, um, and those are things all I have, to, I have to do that now. So, um, I've been out of my comfort zone a bunch, um, over the past year, but, but again, there's no, no way to really grow unless you are out of your comfort zone. So, um, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot over the last year. I'm trying to learn every day from, you know, the mistakes I made last year, first year on the job. So, um, it's been cool. And again, it, you know, been in the NFL for a long time, but I've never made a pick before. So, I went from making no picks to making 115 picks, which was, which was a lot of fun last year, um, putting these rosters together. So, 
uh, it's been fun. And, you know, we're, we're just really trying to grow this thing. We've got this awesome property that, um, you know, it's been here forever. We've got 53 hall of fame players and it's, you go down the list of guys that played in the senior bowl. It's like a who's who, you know, even, even now it's Bobby Wagner and Richard Sherman and Aaron Donald and Von Miller and Russell Wilson. I mean, it's, it's, and there's so many great players that have, that have come through mobile and started their journey here. Um, I just think that uh, the game is, is almost sold itself short a little bit. So from a business standpoint, it's been really trying to grow the sponsorship side of it um, because this thing we are, you know, our, our thing moving forward is the draft starts in mobile and we had 10 first round picks last year, which was a huge spike from the past. And we had 37% of the draft. So, you know, we're really positioned, you know, right here at the front part of the draft. And when you see what the draft becomes like in Nashville with 600,000 people or, uh, where it's going to Vegas this year, I'm kind of scared what Vegas is going to look like. Um, you know, we're we're on the front end, so we 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 really we've got a lot to offer. So it's really building out more of the business side of things because the football side's always been great. And then you know, the only thing we've really done differently is uh, the social media thing. Is uh, you know, we we've got scouts all over the country. I, I built a scouting staff. We never really had that before, and uh, we've got scouts all over the country at games every weekend and we're pumping videos out pregame to show the country like who these prospects are and what they look like at field level. And uh, it's, we started that to pull back the curtain for the fans and what it's turned into has been an awesome recruiting tool because these players, we all know that these guys live on their phones. I mean, I've got a 14 year old son and he's on his phone way more than, more than I wish he was. Um, <laughs> but, but these guys have responded, you know, they've, they've bought into it and uh it's again, like we went from the last three years before I got here, our first rounders were at like three, four and three. And then last year, 10, and we had 40 in the first three rounds. So, um, you know, hopefully we just build off that, you know, hopefully last year's, last year's, this year's group saw last year's group. And, uh, so all the success stories that came out of the, came out of the senior bowl. So, um, just trying to grow it, just trying to grow it. It's been awesome for a long, long time, but, uh, you know, just trying to do it better than it's ever been done. Uh, that's great. I, I definitely noticed it on your Twitter and the NFL Network does a pretty good job. It was, used to be Mayock and now Daniel Jeremiah. It's really promoting the event. And I guess just to touch on the, some of the first rounders you mentioned, uh, sure, listeners, and we would like to know a little more about LJ Collier and I guess other Seahawks picks who you had down there last year, uh, Demarcus Christmas and Marquise Blair. Uh, maybe you can just give a little more insight into your your knowledge of them, what you think their ceilings are. I guess they've had kind of up and down starts and they missed some time. They've all missed time due to injuries. So maybe what you think of them, what your ceiling, think their ceilings are and what their futures are. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I, 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 we've watched, I've seen every Seahawks game this year, except one. I think I missed, it was my first one I've missed in six or seven years, but, uh, but I've tried to watch them on TV, but I don't, I don't have, I don't have time to watch the tape. So I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, how they're playing except for watching them on Sundays. But, uh, you know, LJ, I know he's been banged up a little bit, but, you know, going back and watching some TCU defensive tape, they've got a really good corner for this year. Jeff Gladney, who's a great prospect, you know, day, you know, day one, day two guy. I mean, he's really talented. Um, but watching his tape over the summer and watching LJ again, he's, uh, I'm surprised he hasn't been more productive. So maybe that's, maybe that's because of the injuries, but he's great with his hands, which is, you know, a really hard thing to coach, you know, and, and, you know, he, for a college player, he was excellent with his hands. So he needs long and he really had natural pass rush abilities. So, you know, talking to, of course, I, I keep in good contact with, with a lot of, you know, uh, every team in the league, but 
um, because of my relationships in Seattle, like a lot with those guys, I talked to those guys on a weekly basis and um, had a lot of Michael Bennett qualities. You know, you could move him up and down the line. He could affect the quarterback from, from a lot of different alignments, great with his hands, just real natural with his coordination, rushing the passer and having awareness. Um, so I think he's going to be a good player. I really do. And he, and he, like the thing that stuck out down here um, when you got up on him at practice is how competitive he was. It was awesome. There was one period Wednesday of, of senior bowl week where he was just having a great battle with uh, his offensive line crew was uh, nine of the 10 guys on the North team last year got on the offensive line, got taken the first three rounds. It was an unbelievable O-line group and uh, LJ was getting after him and talking, talking trash. And um, you know, Tom Cable tried to like bark at him and, and, and tell him to stop. And he barked right back at Tom Cable. It was awesome. So that was, uh, that was kind of the highlight of the week. I'm like, man, this guy's got some shit to him. He was, he was pretty cool, but, uh, I know that appeal to the Seahawks. And, uh, so LJ, LJ, I think is going to be a good player. Marquis Blair from the, the first tape I put on last year, I called, uh, I called Tyler Ramsey, Seattle's West coast guy. And I'm like, Ty, this guy's a Seahawk. Like he, I mean, just the, the ground he covers, the tempo he plays with, the urgency, the recklessness. Um, I mean, I I, I got to believe his days his days are coming in Seattle. I mean, he's just – to me, he would be too good of a player and too good of a fit to keep off the field there. I mean, he's – I know that there – I've read some things. I'm trying to keep up that, you know, trying to read Pete's comments in, in uh, press conferences and whatnot that, you know – they need to dial him in a little bit and they trust the other guys because they've been there longer, but, but Marquise is really talented. I mean, he's a starting level player in the league. He's uh he's the absolute definition of a run and hit guy that they want to find um, and has that range to play free safety. And then, uh, you know, the thing I was surprised by because he hits like a ton of bricks on tape was when we got him down here at weigh-ins, he was like 184 pounds or something. Yeah, and uh, which, which, which is crazy, which tells you like how explosive this guy is and naturally explosive because when on contact, I mean, he hits like he's 225 pounds. I mean, he blows people up. So just a naturally explosive dude that's got a ton of snap in his body. And uh, I would expect him to, to get on the field soon and be helping those guys. And then we had Gary Jennings um, had a great week. Gary was, Gary was, uh, you know, one of the later receivers that we that we extended an invite to, um, we got a lot of feedback from the league when we called around trying to put the bottom half of the roster together, and uh, a lot of got a lot of teams like Gary Jennings, so uh, you know brought him down here and he, and he excelled. He's a great looking kid. He's got a great NFL body. He's fast. You know his his uh, his zebra numbers. You know his GPS numbers were. You know, I think he had the highest GPS you know, time of the week down here so he can really roll. He's put together, which, you know, should help on special teams. And again, being there, like to me, Kevin Norwood was a guy that should have played in Seattle a long time, hmm. just from like a wider, well, from a wide receiver skill set, like getting open, being awesome off script for Russell Wilson, unbelievable hands, clutch, like he should have played there forever, but he never really bought into the special teams part of it. And he was gone in like two years, you know? So, um, that's why when John and I talked about Gary, I'm like, well, this guy should, you know, from like a body type and a speed, like if he's wired, right, this guy should be a good special teams player and, you know, buy himself some time, you know? And, and, uh, and so I think that, I think that Gary's got really good football ahead of him. I think that coming out of that West Virginia offense, there's always a huge, huge, um, learning curve, you know, like if you just go back over time and, 
in that system. A lot of those guys have not panned out and, uh, you know, go even to Tavon Austin and, you know, who's like the ninth overall pick, um, you know, never really panned out, but I think Gary's different because Gary's really, really sharp. Um, he has an awesome family. They're down here and spent a lot of time with them in the senior bowl week. And, uh, so I think he's, I think Gary's got the right stuff. I hope they're patient with him. Um, cause I think he's got a chance to be a really good player, you know, at least a three, uh, I would say, and, uh, at minimum. And then, uh, and Christmas is, is a big body two two down player. He's really strong at the point of attack. Um, you know, pass rush is, is, it's hard for those guys. If you're an interior pass rusher that can get to the quarterback, interior guy that can get to the quarterback, you're, you know, you're upper echelon guy. I don't know if DeMarcus is that, but he's a really good first and second down run player. And he was that for Florida state for a long time. He played a ton of football and that was back when, you know, when he was there, Florida state was, was pretty good his first couple of years. It wasn't, you know, they've had a little bit of a dip here, but uh, DeMarcus was a really good player from the get go in Tallahassee, which speaks volumes. So, um, yeah, they, they found some good players down here and, uh, uh, just hopefully, you know, they, they all get a chance to play. That's the, that, that was the hard part. You know, when I was there, you know, we had, you know, you had Russ and, and Earl and Cam and, you know, drafting all these players and they just, they just don't get on the field. So it's, uh, hopefully these guys get a chance to show what they can do. Hey, Jim, uh, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. We could talk to you <laughs> for hours. I know it's late for you and I uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, uh, as you know, part of what we do with, with this show is we donate all our proceeds to uh, Ben's funds um, and uh, work. Yeah, that's awesome, man. John and, and Tracy and consider them, them uh, friends of the show and uh, over $120,000 donated so far and, and having folks on like you on the show um, only helps grow that. So really, really appreciate it. And also just, Thank you. You know, you sit at the nexus between college football and pro football, and I know how much you take that responsibility seriously. I see it on Twitter. Um, you know, you, you take it seriously, trying to evaluate these kids and, and give them a chance at their dreams and um, helping to make the NFL better by finding some of these uh, diamonds in the rough and, and highlighting them and giving folks a chance to, to find their dreams. So really, really appreciate what you do. Appreciate you coming on the show, and we wish you all the luck. Uh, Anything that, that folks listening should know um, in terms of if they want to go down to the Senior Bowl, um, you know, anything coming up that they should be aware of? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I appreciate what you guys do for, for Ben's fund. I mean, that's, that cause is really dear to my heart. I mean, I've known Ben since he was, since he was a baby. You know, I mean, he's, I love John's family. They're awesome people. Um, so what you guys are doing is great. Uh, when it comes to the senior bowl, yeah, what, what the listeners need to know is like what an awesome week senior bowl week is. And, um, you know, I got to be in Nashville for the, for the draft this year, like part of the ESP, I got, I got to do some ESPN stuff leading up to the draft, which was fun, but they brought me up to Nashville and to see what Nashville was, um, with the 600,000 people and, and, you know, guys, my age and older and younger, like, you know, wearing jerseys and, painting their face and you know just these rabid fans i was sitting there at, a, at the at the place where we filmed our shows and i was like gosh how do we get these guys to mobile because you know i i get it like the draft i understand what the lure of the draft is you know it's it's christmas day it's christmas morning it represents hope you know I mean, that's why i fell in love with it as a kid but you know when you break it down from a football perspective it's a guy walking across the stage bro hugging roger goodell and holding up a jersey you know 
So um, <laughs> I feel like in, in mobile, uh, in mobile, you can, you can stand literally 10 feet from a drill and watch LJ Collier whoop someone's ass. And then, you know, go to the hotel and grab Daniel Jones or, or Baker Mayfield or, you know, Gardner Minshew, whoever it might be. And, you know, take a selfie with them or whatever, connect with them. And then, We've got we've got the main drag down here in Mobile, Dolphin Street, and uh, kind of like our mini Bourbon Street, and uh, you can you can pop in and out of a bar and see John Schneider or you know Mike Vrabel or you know whoever it might be, you know your head coach or GM. I mean, it, like the NFL descends on Mobile that week, so and it's such a small town, it's it's crazy, you know, and it you know at the combine you don't get that because it's such a big event, and uh, you know it's beca- it's become so commercialized, like we're still you know, this thing is still kind of small town. No, no, we're trying to grow it. But I think to any football fan, um, it's, it's such a great opportunity to come down and just be immersed in the NFL for a week. I mean, you, I tell people you could put a, a, a lawn chair out in front of our office downtown mobile. And if you sat there all week, you would see every single guy from the NFL, every coach, every scout will walk by you at some point. Um, so it's just really a unique week and it's affordable, you know, like this year, <laughs> I was talking to the guys at ESPN about going out to, to Vegas this year with them um, for the draft. And there's a Hooters, so there's a Hooters casino in Vegas that is selling rooms for $999 a night, the weekend of the draft. And the, the weekend, the weekend before and the weekend after it's $79. So it's like, it's almost like a, it's like a 1200% markup. And, uh-huh. and you're like, I don't know about you guys, but I sure, I sure as hell can't afford a, a thousand dollar hotel room. So, um, you know, so, so you come down here, you pay 83 bucks at the Candlewood downtown mobile and you're staying a block from the players and the coaches. And, um, it's just a great week. It's just a great week. I really, I really, uh, you know, I called a bunch of the SB nation sites and, you know, trying to hit up all these blog sites to like figure out how we promote this thing better. And they're like, everyone's like, Jim, I don't think fans realize that's a fan event. You know, they think it's for the NFL and they think it's for the media people, but it's not really for them. I'm like, well, we got to change that. So if there's anyone listening, anyone out in Seattle, you know, we'll, we'll shoot. I'll, I'll have one of the bars downtown become like the official Hawks bar and we'll, you know, bring the 12s down and have it blow it out for the week because it is, it is truly an awesome week. Hey man, you, uh, it is obvious why they picked you for this job. That was a fantastic sales pitch. I am going to be at the senior bowl <laughs> here soon. That sounds like an amazing place to be. And it's an amazing time because it probably a year or two from now, you will have built that thing up and it won't be quite as, uh, quite as personal as you've got it uh, out to be right now. So um, uh, where, where can fans go to, to uh, get tickets or, or, you know, start, you know, planning around it? Is this website? Is- yeah, they yeah, they can go to our website at seniorbowl.com. They can get tickets. They can go to visitmobile.com, um, and, and they'll have all the links to the hotels and, and everything like that. And, again, for, for, you know, fans up in Seattle, I mean, down in, in January down here, we've got, we've got great golf courses. You can still golf. There's, you know, mm-hmm. we're, right on the, we're right on the golf. We're right on the Gulf of Mexico. You can go deep sea fishing during the day. I mean, there, there's a lot more to do than just football. But if you're just coming down, for like a football weekend, this should be like that Nashville. I didn't realize Nashville was like the uh, bachelorette capital of the United States. Like this should be like the guys weekend trip. Like if you're, if you got a couple of if you got a couple of boys that love the draft and love football and love the Hawks, like this is where you need to go for like three or four days. Like this, the, you will, you will not be disappointed. Everyone that's come down, they're like, 
we're, we're never not coming back. You know, like it's just one of those weekends. Once you do it, you realize what it is and you're like, well, we're going back for sure. Um, but my thing is I just got to get people down here and then I know they'll come back. So, so it's a, it's a, it's a great week guys. Awesome. Well, uh, for folks that don't know, follow him at, at Jim Nagy underscore eight SB for uh, senior bowl at Jim Nagy underscore yep. SB on Twitter. Uh, lots of great stuff coming out of there. Tweets about um, prospects, things coming up about the senior bowl. And again, uh, thanks Jim for coming aboard. Uh, we will certainly hope to, to hit you up again. And, and uh, if uh, nothing else, talk to you on Twitter about what's going on. Absolutely guys. I appreciate you having me on. Go Hawks. Right. Take care. Go Hawks. Well, uh, fellas, uh, doesn't get much better than that. Obviously, Jim, uh, Jim has tons of knowledge about players coming into the NFL. He has knowledge about uh, what's been going on in, um, uh, in the Seahawks front office. And, you know, um, a lot of interesting insights there about some draft picks that we've had some questions about. I mean, how did you feel about LJ Collier, you know, before that, that call versus uh, after what you heard, what Jim uh, described him as that week? I think he has to be a Seahawks fan favorite for yelling at Tom Cable, doesn't he? <laughs> I know Nathan somewhere is excited to hear that. No, that was kind of, that was maybe our best guest we've ever had on the show. We've had some pretty good ones over the years. Like we had Mike Garofalo years ago, early on in the show, like yep. hinting at Sheldon Richardson trades, like even before he went on Twitter. And we, uh, we've had some cool, just very cool guests over the years. That was awesome. Just to hear the stories if he's had in the NFL and then the, the insight into the Seahawks guys that we've been questioning a lot. So that, that was really cool. Yeah, Evan, I mean, the Marquise Blair comment, um, that one was interesting as well. I mean, he, he said that publicly before, that he said first time he saw him, this is a Seahawks safety and uh, there's nothing that's changed there. He's doubled down on it. Um, you know, what did, what did you hear in, in uh, his comments about Blair? Yeah, I, I really think it affirmed what we've been thinking is that this team trusts, trusts in quotes, you know, the veterans to not make mistakes. But at the end of the day, Marquise Blair is a, is a playmaker. I think he's going to be too good to stay off the field. Sure. He may be taking some extra time to learn the playbook and, you know, prevent some potential mistakes down the road. But I think, I think at the end of the day, he's a badass and he's going to start. And I think, especially with Pete's recent comments about him really laser focusing on free safety really, really opens up the opportunity for him to start sooner than later. Bradley McDougall, I think is a stud. I don't think he's leaving strong safety. So if, you know, Marquise is truly competing at, at that free safety spot. I think we're going to see him soon. Yeah. There's a few other interesting comments in there um, and we'll spend a couple minutes on that and then we'll switch over, talk about the Seahawks and what's going on now, but um, loved his comments about Scott McLuhan. I mean, that, mm. that's something that has just, just like festered on Seahawks Twitter and, and like the interwebs that, you know, the story that, that John Schneider had, you know, he was propped up by Scott McLuhan, the, the wonder scout. And that when McLuhan left, that that's why the drafts, you know, dropped out. People don't want to hear that the 2013 draft was a disaster for every team across the league. Um, and that there was no talent in there to the point that the Seahawks now have had, I think almost every one of the top five picks in that draft on their roster at some point or another. 
<laughs> um, including Ziggy Ansah right now. Um, but, you know, yeah, I thought that was fantastic to hear him just really describe how great John Schneider was. I think it was great to hear how how much loyalty and camaraderie, you know, he feels toward that organization and how much he believes in how they're running it. I also, I don't know if you guys interpreted this way. My interpretation was, talking about Russell Wilson, he said he, he read John's report on Russell Wilson. It's well known that, that Russell Wilson was a, a John Schneider uh, led pick, but he came out and said that not everybody thought he was going to be what John Schneider thought he was going to be. Who do you think he was referring to? I'll let you take this one. I th- I remember Scott McLuhan talked about this on a podcast too, and how they had a f- how they had a fight the year before. I think Pete and John and some of John's staffs fought over Andy Dalton the year before. And I'm guessing it's Pete and maybe even Bevel and Carl Smith. I think. I think Pete had to be really convinced. Like, Pete had to really dig back into his coaching. Like, he had to talk to, like, Bud Grant about Frank Carrington. I think it must have taken him a lot to overcome his priors. And we see how stubborn he is about what he believes is, like, the way to play football. I think he – I think they must have had to do a ton of knocking down doors to get Pete to buy into that pick. That was kind of my interpretation as well. I mean, I think it was interesting, you know – uh, in my conversations with those guys, it's never always been clear that it was John who was driving that pick. That's never been a doubt. Um, and it was definitely clear that Pete had, you know, had to be won over, but never got the impression that it was a hard fight. Um, that gives me some pause that maybe it was a little bit of a, a tougher sell than it, than it ended up being. Um, but uh, that's interesting. I mean, super insightful stuff. And you know, he hit on a lot of guys, um, you know, on the Seahawks side. Interesting hearing him bring up Kevin Norwood um, and and uh, and thinking that that was going to be a guy that really lasted. Now, remember, Jim it was the Southern scout um, for the Seahawks, and Norwood came out of there. So pretty sure that was one of his picks uh, in terms of Kevin Norwood um, that he, he really had hoped was going to work out. But um, interesting. And I got to say, I wasn't joking. The way he was describing the Senior Bowl, that sounds like a fantastic – week like I can totally picture what he's saying you know the NFL draft used to be like that where it was just it was only a few people it was kind of like a little bit personal and you had all these players and you know NFL personnel and um it's blown up now um you know being able to go to something really personal like that and see all the coaches I've seen John Schneider or Cortez Kennedy in a road game in a bar and talk to them. And it's a completely crazy experience. And, you know, to, to run into Bill Belichick or to run into, you know, any of these guys down there and, and shoot the shit with them over a beer. Um, sounds like a great experience. So that is now on my list of something I'd like to do. And now happens January 25th. I'm hoping I don't get to do it for a few years because uh, that would probably mean the Seahawks aren't going that far in the playoffs. But uh, otherwise, uh, sounds like a great, great place. Is that not the weekend that's the break between the Super Bowl and the championship yeah. games? Yeah, it might be. But if, if I told my wife I was going to go to Mobile <laughs> for a week and then I was going to go to the Super Bowl for a week, I think uh, I probably wouldn't be not invited to come home afterwards. I don't know, man. I'm buying my tickets right now. I'm hyped. 
Yeah, it sounds pretty fun, right? I think we should all go. That'd be a great yeah, we could, uh, anyway. We either do a trip there or we can do a meet up in Vegas for the draft this year. It's probably the logical meeting Did point. You hear how much those those uh, hotel uh, rooms cost, dude? I, I well, uh, we'll stay with Evan. Time. We'll fly down for the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Hey, well, uh, great get for a guest there. Uh, something that, you know, Evan and, and Jeff have been working on and Evan was able to, to pull in Jim today. So thank you for that. And um, if you haven't already, please sign up at patreon.com slash hawk blogger. You know, this is part of how we are able to grow the show and bring in great guests. We've had Kenny Maine, we've had Mina Kimes, we've had Mike Garofalo, we've had Aaron Nagler. We've had a lot of really, really great guests and uh, going to continue to do that. I want to bring Joe back. Joe Fan's still one of my favorites. Uh, I loved having him on and, and uh, we'll bring him on. Uh, Warren Sharp's another guy going to want to want to bring back. And Brady was uh, good too. Brady Anderson. Brady's great. Uh, and then I'm, I'm hoping we can pull Jake Heaps in as well. It's been a while since we had Jake on. So there's a lot of good guys we're going to try to bring around and gals. Um, Natalie Weiner was, was another one. Uh, so turn the page a little bit. So coming out of the Browns game, Evan, we didn't get to hear your post game, uh, reactions to that, to that game. You were on the road and, and couldn't join post game. Um, if you wouldn't mind, like what was, what was your reaction to that game? Yeah, I think the Seahawks showed like a ton of resilience. I really do. They, you know, they got down what 17 to zero or something like something. Twenty to six. <laughs> what seems like a what was it? Twenty to six. Oh lord, that that uh that gap feels insurmountable in a ter- in a typical Seahawks game. But I think that this game on Sunday was evidence towards you know, just this offense's leadership and their capability to come from behind. And not just the offense, actually. The defense, I think, only let the Browns score three points after, you know, 30 seconds into the second quarter. So I think I think this team just showed a ton of resilience. The Browns, of course, made a lot of mistakes. Um, it was a bad day for the rest, too. But at the same time, I don't want to take away any credit from, from these players. I, I think the defense really sort of, you know, bent, but did it break. Um, Russell Wilson was phenomenal. Chris Carson was phenomenal. Chris Carson had like several runs past 20 yards, breaking multiple tackles was super impressive. Um, I think this was a game they needed to win. And frankly, it was a really big opportunity for them. The Rams are, they have a two game lead on the Rams and the Niners are five and oh, they have, they've already had their bye week. So they're sitting at top of the NFC West, but they're right in the hunt for the NFC West title. And, and I true, and I know that's early to say early in the season, but I truly believe these early games are important. The Seahawks are a second, you know, half of the season football team. If they can get going like this, if they can continue this streak, they're putting themselves in a great position for the playoffs. It kind of just hit me this week that the Seahawks are five and one. I don't know why it took a, me like a delay to get excited about it, but holy hell, the Seahawks are five and one. Like, wh- when did this happen last time? Like they won the Super Bowl. This is good stuff. It's exciting. Yeah, and Jeff, it, it, Evan's not wrong about you know, the Seahawks were down fourteen six after one quarter, and you were not also not able to join the post game show. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. But this was, this was the first time in the Pete Carroll era that the Seahawks have trailed by eight points or more after the first quarter on the road and won. Never done it before. In fact, it's only happened 
seven times before in Seahawks history. So it's not something that happens very often to Seattle. Last time it happened was in 2007. So, uh, you know, people talk about the Seahawks being slow starters. Seahawks offense didn't really start slow in this game. They scored a touchdown on their first possession. Um, one of the things Nathan and I talked about is that typically it's been the offense that has started slow over the Pete Carroll era. Now, I don't know if you can say that the defense is starting slow. I kind of wonder if the defense can start or finish uh, well, you know? Uh, so, so what's, what's your take uh, watching that game and, and how are you feeling coming out of it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in there. Um, it was a really weird game. Like one of the weirder Seahawks games, very frustrating, very emotional. Um, we, a bunch of us had a chat going on during the game for, and if you saw some of my message, they were very negative, very sarcastic, very, I'm glad you guys just didn't see me during that game. It was not my best self. I was really down for a while. The way they played defense in the first half to me was just so frustrating how easy Cleveland was completing passes. Even the ones they missed were nothing to do with the Seahawks. Once Shaq Griffin gets that play in the end zone and kind of opens the door, the fact that they were only down like two points at halftime was unbelievable, given everything that went wrong and Disley got hurt and all that stuff. And once mm -hmm. the second half kind of happened, I know that there was a little scare for a bit when ProSize fumbled and the Browns came back, but it really felt like the Seahawks were in control and it felt like some of the earlier games this year so coming out of the game, my thoughts were a lot different than during the game. During the game, I was very down, very negative. Even the four turnovers, I just still couldn't believe how bad the defense was and how easy it was for a Browns team that just couldn't do shit the week before. Just coming out, my overall thought was this offense is really, really good. Like, I, I'm not going to say defense doesn't matter because I'm a big believer in defense, but for this team, I think we all have to kind of change our mindset with watching the Seahawks. And if you watch like some of Drew Brees' teams or some of Brady's teams before or in the early 2010 era, like they had some bad defenses in New England. They had some bad defenses in New Orleans, but every year they're 12 and four, 13 and three. A lot of the Peyton Manning teams were the same way where they had two pass rushers and they were not a really good defense, but they were 12, 13 wins every year with those shit defenses because they had the best quarterbacks in the league. And that's kind of what the Seahawks are right now. And that kind of clicked for me after the game. Like, they played horrible defense. They could not have played worse. And yet, they were pretty much in control the whole second half of the game. And I think that's what the Seahawks are now. And it's weird for a Pete Carroll team to be like that. And it's weird that I was a mess during that game. I was furious. I wanted to rip Tedrick Thompson's head off. Uh, the pass rush was embarrassing again. Uh, I can't defend them anymore. But, man, <laughs> Russell I is... Jeff, I was going to say, uh, that's interesting coming from you. You can't defend them anymore, can you? No, I got nothing. No, I mean, <laughs> zero, zero sacks and zero quarterback hits. There's not an easy way for me to look up the last time that that's happened. And the other piece of it that, that I want to look up, I haven't had a chance to spend time on it, is I did verify the Browns had no negative plays on offense in the first half. In fact, Every play on the Browns offense in the first half gained yardage unless it was an incomplete pass or a turnover. So every single thing they did was positive yardage. Um, and, and so the CX defense just did not stop them at all. They, they, they changed it around in the second half when they got started there and you had a tackle for loss and, you know, a strip and, and the recovery from Ziggy, but 
it was it was not pretty on defense but i think you're right i mean that's part of what i was getting at with the slow start and this is a different team this is a this is a team that like offensively throughout was pretty good um didn't capitalize on some of their opportunities but um i think we have to talk about the fact that they're evolving and and you know it was not that long ago that we were saying you know Pete Carroll, what is he doing with Tom Cable and Daryl Bevel? And he's ruining Russell's career. And, you know, he needs to turn over the offense and all these things. And, you know, now you've got, he hired Shoddy, who everybody was critical of, including me. Like, I was not a fan of that hire. Um, Even if there's a better hire out there, let's say we all agree there's still someone better that he could have found. It's hard to argue with that hire right now. Russell Wilson is playing the best football of his career. And if, if Shoddy was really that bad, I don't think you'd, you'd see that happening. And I think there's some evidence to believe that he's actually helping Russell become an even better player than he was. And, uh, you know, we talked about it on the chat. You tell me if I'm making too big of a deal out of it, but third and seven, mm. end of the game, up by four, up by yeah, up by four, right? I think. Is that the case? Yeah. yeah, they're up by four. And I feel like every other time the Seahawks, the Pete Carroll would have had them kick the field goal there, or would have run the ball, set up a field goal. And they went and they threw that ball to DK Metcalf, and it was not an easy throw. It was along the sideline, it was covered. And they picked it up. I mean, that to me was a big deal. Am I over? Am I overthinking that, Evan? You're absolutely not. I think you absolutely nailed it. Last year, that third and six or third and seven, whatever it was, is a run. And then they give the ball back to the Browns and they give them an opportunity to score a touchdown and tie the game. And by the way, there's no guarantee that Jason Myers even makes that field goal. By the exactly. Way. So, so that, let's, let's, let's make sure we you know, don't place some mismatch confidence in Jason Myers. He hasn't earned it yet. And I know that's shocking coming from me. But I, I think the decision to pass in that scenario is incredible. And I, and I also think you nailed another good point. Brian Schoenheimer, outside of Brian Schoenheimer, the offensive coordinator, who we have criticized maybe sometimes unfairly, but sometimes I think very fairly, he's a quarterback's coach. And if, you know, if, we, if we're seeing Russell Wilson make improvement, big improvements in the past two, year, that's a, that's a great sign. I, I think – I think that's an added part of Shadi's game that we just don't have a lot of insight into, a lot of awareness into, but it's an element he brings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jeff, going from a tater to Brian Schottenheimer as a quarterback coach has to only help, right? Yeah, and I was listening to uh, the Brock and Salk podcast today, and I, I, I never thought I would miss those guys as much as I do, but I, I actually do. Oh, I'll save that thought for another day. But, um. Brock, for all his weird football takes sometimes, he was talking a lot about, and he talks to Jay Keeps a lot through the station. Uh, they were talking about just about how much trust behind the scenes Russell has in Shawnee. Not as much as a play caller, just how much they see the game similarly and how much, when like when his headset went out and everyone's like, oh, Russell's this play caller guy. Obviously, big credit to Russell and maybe he should be our play caller, but <laughs> he ran plays that, we're in Shoddy's game plan. These are Shoddy design plays. These are plays that he believes in. And everyone's just like thinks Russell's freelancing. And obviously that drive was great, but 
I think those two are really aligned. And I think if you remember, Brian kind of alluded to this earlier that Russell used to have those terrible first halves and first quarters and the defense would be keeping them in six, nothing or something. And we'd wonder what the hell's going on. And Russell would be bailing from the pocket and running for his life and kept not throwing the ball out of the bounds. I think there was an incident like that in this game where he kind of went back to his old habit and could have threw the ball away and took like a seven yard sack. However, for the most part, if you watch the film or even the highlights, you notice how much more he's stepping up in the pocket. And that's something that we always kind of wondered, when's that part of his game going to come? And I don't know, I can't directly correlate this to Shoddy because I don't know this for a fact, but that's really the area that like Breeze, Brady, Ben, those guys really excel. And Philip Rivers is amazing at that. And Russell's really added that to his game this year, even more so than last year, where he's stepping up in the pocket, not just extending play side to side, which he's still good at, but just seeing the rush and creating more time by moving up, which helps the linemen a lot because the line's not great. And he's he, he's taken his game to another level. As good as he was last year, as much as he carried this team last year, he's now almost surpassed Patrick Mahomes, who seemed insurmountable last year, seemed untouchable. And Russell is outplaying everyone, Deshaun Watson, Tom Brady. It's pretty crazy. It is. I mean, it, it's, it's, I think it's what every Seahawks fan always wanted to have. And <laughs> there have been uh, plenty of Russell detractors and haters around, um, at least detractors. Some of them would probably qualify as haters. And, and I don't know that you can be a Seahawks fan and not appreciate what Russell Wilson's doing right now. I mean, he's, mm. he is playing nearly flawless football. And you really have Russell Wilson and really not much else on, on the defense. Like if a Russell Wilson led offense and then defensively and special teams, you got a bottom third of the league kind of team right now. So for them to be five and one, part of it's luck, part of it is schedule. All those things are true, but part of it's having a top three offense in the NFL right now. Like, since week one, when, when uh, you know, they had the Cincinnati Bengals stuff that they were definitely off in a bunch of ways, Seahawks offense is number two in the NFL in yards and number three in the NFL in points scored. So, I mean, this is one of the most powerful offenses in the league. And an interesting thing to boot, that's uh, my new uh, uh, alarm. But if you look at, uh, if you look at neutral scripts, Right. So you look at neutral script situations and you compare last year to this year because everyone was Oliver shoddy for running the ball too much last year. Um, for people who don't know neutral script, that is when the game is, you know, first, second, uh, third quarter, uh, first or second down and it's within one score. So eight points, either you're ahead by eight or behind by eight or in between. Right. So that gets you a feel for what, what a play caller tendencies are last year, the Seahawks, passed the ball 37.7% of the time in those situations. That's last in the league. This year, they're up to 49% of the time, which is 22nd in the league, not top half of the league, but that's a huge jump in one year. And it's ahead of a lot of teams that, you know, people are, are pointing out as, as offensive powerhouses. So um, interesting to see Kyle Shanahan right there at 49% as well, one of the best offensive minds in football. And the San Francisco 49ers obviously are having uh, a lot of uh, success so far. So just interesting to see Schottenheimer progress. And I don't know that he's done. I think that might be a trajectory to where you're going to see that continue to rise. 
the other take that these guys had in their podcast today, I don't, I don't agree with that. I just want to quickly before, not to distract you too much. Wanted to hear your thoughts on it because I definitely know mine. They thought that Russell losing Doug Baldwin has actually helped him. The fact that kind of he's just like now there's no one really detracting him on the offensive side, not having that presence kind of making it more Russell's team and no one's really questioning him anymore. Do you buy that at all? Because I thought that was a little much for me, but like they said, they wouldn't even want Doug back if he wanted to play again. I understand where they're coming from. I mean, I think, I think there were, there were people on that team in their locker room that I think had varying opinions of on Russell Wilson. We saw that play out in a bunch of different ways. And um, even as someone who's, you know, one of Doug's biggest supporters, a person I, I respect in all sorts of ways, we've all been in work situations where just having the absence of detractors helps you kind of feel more confident, feel more like yourself, relax, um, you know, to be yourself and, and to kind of spread your wings. And so I absolutely can see why Russell Wilson, and I think, I mean, I, mean, I talked about it in, in an article I wrote a few weeks ago. I think the personality of this team is significantly different than the personality of the teams that, you know, were Super Bowl teams. Those teams came from like a dark place of we have chips on our shoulder, we were doubted, um, and we are going to just humiliate you physically and any other way possible to show that we were right and you were wrong. That's not what this team feels like. This team feels like, you know, they're tightly bonded. It comes from a place much more like akin to what Russell Wilson is of like positivity, belief, faith, and, you know, resilience and, and you don't feel that even Bobby's like that Bobby and Russ both have that really just naturally positive tendency. So I feel like this team's different and I feel like it's, it's been a healthy evolution. Um, but yeah, I certainly wouldn't mind having someone like Doug uh, from a skill set perspective on this roster. That's for sure. So um, Evan, I know you're going to have to jump here in a bit. Uh, talk to us about how you're feeling about this game this weekend. Oh boy. Um, is it weird that the weather really concerns me? <laughs> I know. No. It rain- I think that's a I, great call. I know that it rains a lot in Seattle, but God damn you cowards build a dome. I know, I know the King dome. You guys blew it up a while ago, but build a dome. You, you know, Russell Wilson's better in, in dry conditions, but on a serious note, um, I think the rate, you know, what's really surprising to me about the Ravens is how their defense is so lackluster. They added a lot of talent, including Earl Thomas in the offseason, and they're ranked like bottom five in multiple defensive metrics. And their pass defense has been atrocious. I don't know if you, if you guys have seen, you know, Tony Jefferson, I think, is out for the season with some ACL, some some injury. Um, the, they, they, the Ravens just lost like another uh, contributing safety um, that John Harbaugh announced in a press conference on Tuesday or Wednesday or Tuesday or Monday. Um, but Earl Tom- fans have not been super happy with Earl Thomas's effort and coverage skills so far this season. Some people are even making jokes that, you know, who has had a better season, Tedrick Thompson or Earl Thomas? Like, oh. like people, people are <laughs> not on. happy. People are not happy though with Earl Thomas's production in, in Baltimore. So Oddly enough, their offense, I think, is the scarier part, especially with Lamar Jackson's ability to run the ball. 
Um, he's a dual threat. Their their offense is is good, I think. And and in rainy conditions, you know, some historically, you know, some historical difficulty ta- tackling this year. Um, it could potentially pose a nasty combo for you know the Seahawks defensive unit. Um, that's the matchup I'm worried about. I really think our offense is going to take care of business against them. It's really whether our defense and how they, you know, perform on Sunday. So it's interesting what you just said. And I, I mentioned this to you guys earlier. I talked to a pro scout I know over text about Baltimore. I, I mostly want to hear about Earl. And it, I wrote down two notes I have that actually, per, Evan, you nailed it. Note number one, tell me that this sounds familiar. Baltimore has the second lowest sack total for them over their past two decades. Only one player is getting consistent pressure. To make matters worse, their two biggest free agent departures, Terrell Suggs and Darius Smith, have more sacks than their entire team combined. Only one player getting pressure and a t- defensive line getting no pressure. That sounds exactly like the Seahawks. Um, this was his note on Earl. This, let's see. This is just his note from watching the film. He's not in the building. He just studies the league. He hasn't been the same player. He's struggling to adjust to the new defense. Problem two, the speed is starting to go. It's decreasing. People are worried he might get a little too geared up for this game. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm a little bummed that there's even any question about whether or not people will cheer for Earl. Uh, Yeah. I I think if there's any question, I I hope the fans answer that on Sunday. The guy should deserve standing ovation and nothing but support. And look, contract, business, all that stuff comes into play. I know a number of fans that wish they could flip off Pete Carroll um, for various reasons. <laughs> Some of them have been on this pod at times. But, uh, you know, he, he, he gave his heart and soul to this franchise and helped us get to our you know, first Super Bowl championship. So um, I got nothing but love for Earl um, his wife's wonderful. His family's great as well. I mean, they're just great people. He's, he's a, he's an odd bird. Um, but no, he's an odd bird in a Raven uniform. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think Evan mentioned that they've got some injuries. Jimmy Smith's a guy that's been out, might be coming back at corner. They lost to Sean Elliott, who's their state, one of their starting safeties and been one of their best players. Um, you know, you've got now Marcus Peters, who was just traded for and is going to come in and sounds like he's going to play right away. Uh, you've got Marlon Humphrey, who's actually a pretty darn good corner opposite. So there's there's definitely some changes there. And then you look at the injury report this week for today. I don't know if you guys saw it for the Seahawks, but you got a lot of names on there. It doesn't sound like Dwayne Brown's going to play. We did get good news. It sounds like he's going to come back and not miss the season, which I think we all thought was an issue. But you got Lano Hill did not practice. Bradley McDougal did not practice. KJ Wright did not practice. And Ziggy Ansah did not practice. So, um, and then you got Tyler Lockett and Chris Carson, you know, limited, but I think that's just a Wednesday thing. So, you know, I'm curious, a couple things here. One, KJ Wright, if he, if he goes out, I think that means Cody Barton gets his first start and and playing time. How would you feel if that's how Seahawks went into this game, um, you know, knowing who their their opponent is? Did we lose Evan? Yeah. 
Okay. Um, I would be a little worried because the biggest thing with this game, we saw the Seahawks have had trouble tackling. Uh, Kyler Murray just moved around them like it was nothing. Alvin Kamara bounced off them. If you watch Lamar Jackson play, he's probably the hardest guy to tackle in space than anyone in the league. He reminds people as a runner a lot like Michael Vick. KJ, for his flaws, has long arms. He's a pretty sound technician. Barton, I don't know. It's a really tough first game to ask him to come in and try to tackle Lamar Jackson. So that would worry me to an extent. But if they were more of like a good passing team and you had to worry about coverage responsibility, then I'd be even more nervous. But Lamar's not a great passer, especially if it's going to rain. He kind of has a similar style to Michael Vick where you could, you against the better teams, Lamar's passing numbers have been a lot lower. So I, I would be a little more worried in that sense if they were playing more of a passing quarterback. But still, KJ's a really just sound tackler. So that would worry me because Kendricks hasn't been great in that area. And that's an area where I really thought he would be. So just like sliding him over, then moving someone else in, that's not a great solution either. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll say something that's maybe not that popular, which is I am not sure KJ Wright has been performing at the level of, you know, I think it's not controversial to say he hasn't been performing at the level we've come accustomed to for him. And I think it's been a little while since he has. Uh, I'm not totally sure he's performing at a starting linebacker level, Um, you know, and I think there's been some mistakes in coverage for sure. Um, and, you know, if you look at been a number of mistakes that he's even mentioned, but you, you know, the Rams game toward the end, but from a PFF grade perspective, his coverage is 43. Like that's really bad. Um, and uh, interestingly, fascinatingly, Bobby Wagner's is 42. So they've had some coverage issues. I think they're both getting used to this. I think that, Earl made some comments today indicating, hey, I was reading between the lines. They were going to sign the linebackers and not keep the safety. On one hand, that sounds kind of crazy. On another hand, I think there are some signs and indications that the Seahawks were moving away from single high, that knowing how the Rams were playing and how the Rams offense is built and what they were having to face in terms of how that was going, I think that challenges single high and cover three in a different way. And I think they believe that they needed to get to more of the, the Tampa two style approach. And that's less something where you really need a, a safety like Earl and, and linebackers can play a really big role. I don't think the linebackers have really stepped up so far. I think they're still trying to find their way. And so long way of saying, I'm not sure that young legs would be the worst thing. You know, um, I, 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 my first thought was like, Oh crap. My second thought was, Hmm. I wouldn't be, I don't know that I'd want to see Cody Barton against Lamar Jackson in the rain as his first start, but uh, it doesn't give, it doesn't strike fear in my heart. Like I, I would like to see that guy get some snaps and, and I'm not certain, just like DeMarco Jones, I'm not certain it'll be a step backwards. Yeah, yeah you're not wrong. If you would have told me before the Rams game that DeMarco Jones would play guard, imagine like we, I wouldn't have been comfortable with that at all. No. And two weeks, I would have been like, that's insane. They're going to get killed. But two weeks later, he's been one of their saving graces and one of their quiet studs on their team last two weeks against what well, apparently Cleveland Browns defensive line. Like we didn't talk about this earlier, but like Miles Garrett and Sheldon Richardson, like I didn't notice Sheldon Richardson at all. 
and he's a guy we've debated plenty of times on here. And <laughs> yeah, yeah without, so without Nathan here to to make a case, we you and I will probably uh, gang up on him. But yeah, go yeah, ahead. yeah, we go. We gotta wait for him. We'll talk on Saturday. Um, yeah, so you're right. You maybe maybe we're just so used to having KJ out there, and it's hard to just move on. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's getting burned some looks isn't the worst thing. Well, and the other one here is, I mean, you've got two safeties out right now. Leno Hill with an elbow and Bradley McDougal with back. Let's say for a second that both of those guys can't go. Then you're talking about Marquise Blair getting his first start at safety next to Tedrick Thompson, which is interesting on a number of levels. One, I, I, I'd be excited to see Blair get some, some snaps. We just heard from Pete Carroll last week that they've isolated him at free safety, which is also what Tedrick plays. So that would be a little bit interesting. And I wonder how they'd handle that, whether they'd ask Tedrick to do something different. Um, Tedrick's a little bit more of a cerebral player that knows the playbook and maybe he's a little more flexible. But I think that limits them a little bit in, in what they can do there. And I wonder what their backup situation would be at the safety spot. I think Adrian Colbert, uh, is on the practice squad now, so they might have to move him up to the active roster. Um, I don't know who else they would they would pull out in that situation to potentially get on the field. But um, uh, looking here really quickly to see if I'm, I'm missing any obvious players. Akeem King can play safety in a pinch um, potentially, so that's another yeah. name to, to potentially watch. But you can bring in Deshaun Shedd, I guess for. <laughs> they could sign somebody that's true so yeah i mean that that one i mean if you end up seeing marquise blair and cody barton we haven't really hit on cody barton as a, a, a draft pick that hasn't played much but he hasn't either i mean not even really on special teams um you know uh well that's not true i'm trying to look and make sure i've got my uh my uh, snap counts right but yeah i think I think seeing Cody Barton out there would be interesting. Seeing Blair out there, seeing both the, the uh, Utah guys out there at the same time could be a, an interesting game for that to happen. Well, yeah, I think you nailed just a bigger overall point is that I have two big questions still about the Seahawks defense. Number one, what's going on with the linebacker group? That was a group we thought was number one in the NFL. And if they are playing a Tampa 2 defense, if you study the Tampa 2, the Tampa 2 is the most linebacker-friendly defense in the NFL from 10 years ago, but it was kind of exposed and every team went away from it. So Brian Urlacher was like the king of the Tampa two from Levy Smith who came from Tampa and Derek Brooks played in Tampa two. Now that the Seahawks have apparently gone this way, Bobby's having his worst year. KJ is not having a good year and either is Kendricks. So for me, either they're playing the wrong defense to fit their players or the players aren't fitting in well. So that's question number one. And question number two, which we haven't really touched on yet is how much of an impact can Jaron Reed make on the pass rush? Mm -hmm. Because the pass rush has been a major disappointment. And to get zero sacks against the Rams and Browns, two of the worst offensive lines in the NFL by all measures, was really disappointing. And a lot of the people who study the film are saying the reason for that is it's because their interior guys are so weak, they can double up Clowney. And Josh sent out stats today that show Clowney's actually the most doubled guy in the NFL. And Ziggy's been kind of a work in progress. He doesn't look healthy. He doesn't look explosive. He made a one good play last game. So it's interesting to see if Reed does open up things for the rest of the year. I know it's probably going to be rusty. It's going to take some time. But that's something I really want to 
watch because really Puna Florida hasn't been the player we thought he would be in year two. I think he slowed down by injury, but in the preseason, he looked like an explosive weapon. And that just hasn't shown this season. And Al Woods just isn't a pass rusher. And Quinn Jefferson is fine. He's good. He's playing well, but he's not a number one kind of guy. And if you put him inside with Reed and then hopefully Ansa gets going and Clowney starts getting better as well as a rusher, hopefully that improves this unit because they've been probably the most disappointing. Those two units have been really disappointing for when we made that Clowney trade. We thought this was a dominant elite front seven. Yeah, it's. I was thinking about that today. I don't think anyone would make the case that this is one of the best front sevens in the NFL right now. And well, I, I, I have talked. Yeah, I have talked. Sorry, say that again. I think Shaq's been their best defensive player this year. I agree. I agree. I mean, Clowney's been really good as well, and you give some good points about why he hasn't maybe added more to the to the to the stat sheet. But you know, look, I I think that I've talked to some folks. You know, in inside there and there's a lot of belief that Jaron Reed makes a big difference for them um and uh, I think if we had more time with Jim uh, Nagy earlier I think he would have certainly uh concurred there he's a big fan of Jaron Reed as you know so uh, interested to see how how he uh affects things and here's the thing he talks so much about the pass rush and I get it it's frustrating and first personally that's one of my favorite things when you have a good pass rush I just love watching the opposing quarterback just get nailed but the run defense has been atrocious, Jeff. Okay. It has been really bad. When I did my tail of the tape today, and I was really looking at it because I wanted to pull out the Ravens' first week on offense against the Dolphins when they scored 59 points and had 600 yards of offense so I could see a, a better representation of what their offense really was. I did that for the Seahawks as well. And if you look at their defense, um, you know, yards per rush – since week two, they are 26th in the NFL. I mean, they're they're really down there in, in rushing yards. And they're going up against a historically great rushing team so far. It's not just Lamar Jackson. It is Mark Ingram, and they've got other they've got other guys that they hand the ball off to there. And then you've got a guy like Mark Andrews as a tight end. It's really their major receiving threat with Hollywood Brown has not been playing lately. I don't think he practiced today, so not exactly sure how that'll play out, but the Ravens pass offense has not been as strong. Um, you know, they're, you know, since screening out that, that big game, they're 24th in the NFL in yards per attempt, 18th in completion percentage, um, 17th in passing yards. So the Seahawks pass defense is actually maybe a better matchup, but the rush defense, you know, even if they have a good pass rush, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know that that's going to be the, the game to make the big difference. I think how they're able to defend the run, that's going to be the key uh, to whether or not they're going to be able to keep the, the Ravens from scoring 25 or 30 points. Yeah, and it's uh, just from an X's and O's standpoint to add to that, the guy coordinating the uh, Ravens offense is Greg Roman. I don't know how you remember him he was the guy coordinating the Niners back when the Seahawks and them were butting heads with the, the Richard Sherman and Jim Harbaugh era and they had Colin Kaepernick Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram's playing the role of Frank Gore and they had some really creative schemes to attack Seattle in those years and they're gonna have to defend the run really well because yeah that's a good call Mark Ingram's playing really really well like he's been close to Nick Chubb and Chris Carson and a lot of statistical measures this year and same kind of runner physical low to the ground 
Um, yeah, it's, you're right. I think that more than anything, more so than the pass rusher, right? It's probably the run defense because if you force Lamar Jackson to pass, especially I, I remember watching him this year in the bad weather game in Kansas City, he was really inaccurate. He, he's not an accurate passer. Last year, he was really bad at that. And this year, he's just been running so well and things have opened up with a tight end, but he's not a very accurate passer and in the rain. So if you have to force him in third and longs and obvious passing situations, that does play to Seattle's hand a bit. So you're right. I think we thought we people always laugh off the non-importance of the run, but against this team, tackling and run defense is really going to be probably what makes the game for them. Yeah, I think we're going to be saying that a lot over the last half of the year. They're playing a lot of really solid run offenses that, that, that rely on that. And uh, the CX defense, something that you, you don't need to have some fast twitch player to do it. You just need to be in your gaps and you need to be stout and, that's something that I know Pete Carroll is going to be focused on trying to get done. One question I have for you before we kind of wrap up here is, is uh, Pete made mention today in his press conference, someone asked about whether they're doing anything with the tight end position. And he said, we're working on something. What did you take that to mean? My guess is they're trying to pull off a trade. Hmm. That was my guess. I, I looked at the free agent list. I couldn't see anything. They don't really have anyone interesting on their practice squad other than Tyrone Swoops, I think. That's the name I was wondering about, whether they're just – when he says he's working on something, are they just looking at someone that they're going to move off their roster in order to open up a space for Swoops? Yeah, well, they have a lot of injured guys, so that would be interesting. But, yeah, you could see something on Saturday when, like, Haynes and them get activated and Jaron Reed gets activated where Swoops gets pulled up. They know him well. My hope, I guess I was hoping they're making a trade. So I was scouring through like over the cap, looking at guys who are available next year and this year. And people have mentioned OJ Howard. You mentioned Austin Hooper. That would be amazing. But I think the price to get Austin Hooper would be pretty high. He's, I think, the number one ranked tight end in terms of yards this year. Yeah, the idea there being that the Falcons are definitely going the wrong direction and Hooper is on the last year of his deal. So... You know, that was floated in a couple of places I saw that he might be on the block um, as someone that they might try to move. Um, I agree. It doesn't feel like I don't I don't see the Falcons thrown in the, the towel. I just don't see him doing it. But he would be certainly a great add and someone that they might think about keeping along um, past this year um, uh, even. But I, I'm kind of curious looking at the roster here. Who gets dropped to make room for? I mean, so Jaron Reed's going to have to get activated. So that's probably Will Disley. Disley goes on IR. That brings in Reed. Okay, so that's Reed. And then I guess we're assuming that Phil Haynes does not get activated this week. But if he does, um, I guess it's Jordan Roos um, that, that gets uh, sent back down. Does that seem logical? Yeah, so the natural guard for guard switch, I would say, is Haynes for Roos. Yeah. The interesting spot to watch for the tight end is they have seven receivers still. Yeah. And they're not playing Jennings or, or Sua. And at this point, you might be able to slip one to the practice squad. Well, and there's one receiver that they will not be able to get back anytime soon. I just read that uh, the Bucks promoted Amara Darbo from the practice <laughs> squad. So, so we'll see him in two weeks. I guess so. I guess so. So, all right, Jeff, um, you're heading out here in a, in a few days. Uh, we will catch up with you um, 
Saturday night um, for a little Matador Nacho experiment. And then uh, one request for you. Yeah. Can you try to make sure I actually like enjoy the game? I get so stressed on Sundays and the last two times I've been at CenturyLink, I've been so stressed about what's happening in the game. Like I haven't been able to actually enjoy that. I was there. Like I was at that game where they were down 21, nothing to Tampa. And I was so pissed off about it. I didn't actually enjoy that. They had this incredible victory. Yeah. Like that's the one thing I'm going to, I don't know if you can help maybe Josh, because he can keep the mood light, but someone please let me enjoy myself. I think we'll help. We'll help. Uh, a few libations ahead of time always help. And then uh, certainly uh, if there's things to be happy about, there will be happiness to be had. Okay, please. Uh, you know, I will admit that, that at the Saints game, I was not maybe the, the, <laughs> the, the happiest, uh, cheeriest guy. I was pretty frustrated with what's going on there. But, um, man. It's going to be great having you out here. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have you. We're going to have uh, Josh, Nathan, Will, a uh, whole crew other than Evan is going to be uh, at the game and pre-gaming together. So it should be a fun time. Looking forward to it, dude. All right. So thank you, everybody, for joining. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, either on YouTube, on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all that great stuff. Um, sign up at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Uh, as I mentioned last time, our Ring of Honor patrons, uh, I'm buying them all the food and drink that they want for pregame uh, this weekend if uh, they choose to join us. And uh, hopefully love, love to have more people join up um, on patreon.com and, and we'll try to organize some more things we can do with broader patrons. Um, otherwise, uh, I wanna wish everybody a great rest of the week and uh, go Hawks.